Well, good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful Sunday. The weather's nice outside, and it's a good day. We are continuing in our, our series, The War of the World, about the reality of the spiritual battle that the Bible talks about, uh, where we are called to be on the alert, to put on the spiritual armor, to, to press on, to endure, to resist temptation, and to glorify God in that. So we are in week three of our study on the, the spiritual battle, and uh, we start off with this about a uh, little National Geographic story about nature. Everybody loves nature, right? Some animals, some not. Do you know, know that a lion's roar can be heard for over five miles? That's pretty far. And it's said that, let's say you're in Africa driving through the bush or Australia, and a lion comes up, it's been said that if a lion is within 30 feet of your vehicle and they roar, it literally shakes the whole car. That's pretty powerful. Lions roar for three reasons. Territorial proclamation, right? They, they roar over what they rule. They roar over what they rule. They also roar to communicate with other lions. And like us, they roar when they are, what do you think? Angry, right? We roar when we are angry too, right? They, one researcher in Africa wrote this about a lion's roar. He says, his roar is an awesome message of power, that he is Lord and master of all that he surveys. Now keep that in mind and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. As this is our key verse for the day, along with Acts chapter 8. But 1 Peter 5 tells us about a lion in the Bible. And it's no coincidence that the Holy Spirit led Peter to refer to our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion now that we know all this stuff about a lion. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us this. He starts off and he says, Be of sober spirit, be what? On the alert. In other words, be aware. Know your surroundings. Know what's going on. Know your enemy. Be ready for an attack. It says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like what? A roaring lion. Not only does he prowl around like a roaring lion, but he does something else. He is seeking someone to devour. Now, here's God's response to that. God says, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. By and large, our enemy, the devil, is covert, right? We've talked about that. He likes to attack subtly, kind of divert us to like a good illusionist to, to get our senses distracted so we're not alert, we're not aware. He likes to fly under the radar so, you know, it's not just a direct frontal attack that we see coming, that it's like something subtle that distracts us to look over there. And like if you've ever been driving a car and you're looking off on the other side and all of a sudden the car stops in front of you, you freak, right? The blood pressure rises up, you get that adrenaline rush because you hit the brakes because the brakes in front of your hip because you weren't paying attention and you're caught off guard. And sometimes not only are you caught off guard, you what? You kiss the bumper of the car in front of you and then it's a bad day, right? All because we were distracted. Satan likes to use subtle attacks like division, traditions, status quo, and as we looked at the first week, the blame game to distract us, to keep us as Christians off course 
and unaware of the real battle that's going on. Satan likes to fight in a secret and in the dark. But when you and I as Christians become actively aware of this spiritual battle that's going on around us, when we take to heart what the Word of God says about putting on the spiritual armor, about being aware, being on the alert, about knowing how our adversary works and how he attacks, and fighting that spiritually with prayer and with study and meditation, and most of all God's Word, Satan begins to fight in a different way. It's not so subtle. Now it's more of a frontal attack. And how does he do a frontal attack on us? Well, he does it in two ways that we're going to look at today. One is intimidation. If you feel intimidated, bullied, put down, what do you tend to do? Most of us don't fight back. We cower down, right? It's like when you see a dog, when you punish or yell at a dog and the dog's ears go down, their head sinks, and their tail goes between their legs, right? When we are intimidated, we tend to cower down. The other thing is isolation, division, isolation. If Satan can keep us isolated from fellowship, from our spouse, from other friends and other people, from his word, from our relationship with God, he could really do a job on us. We saw that in COVID, right? We are still reeling in our nation from the effects of isolation in COVID that caused depression, anxiety. There are still people to this day from 2020 that are afraid to go out and they isolate. Isolate from God's word, isolate from God's church, isolate from family, and they're struggling. What is intimidation? Well, Webster states it's to make someone fearful, to deter or distract one by threats, to intimidate, to bully, to call out threats. In other words, the devil wants to harass you by causing alarm in your life. Sometimes it's in a broken relationship. We feel failure. We feel shame and guilt that we just couldn't make it happen or make it work. Sometimes it's through a bankruptcy or financial issues where we just never seem to be able to have enough money to make it and we're always worried about that. Sometimes it's a loss of a job. Sometimes it's as simple as going to the doctor and hearing a report about our health from the doctor we don't want to hear. Sometimes it's intimidation by the loss of a loved one who we depended upon and put our hope in. Sometimes it's when we try so hard and through all of our efforts, everything just seems to what? Still go wrong, right? In those moments, Satan tries to intimidate us with the feelings that we have going on with those events. And then he does another counterattack where he tries to isolate us in our own mind. To isolate us in our own mind. And when you and I are isolated in our own mind, our thoughts begin to what? go astray and go crazy, and we often make bad decisions. Those thoughts can also immobilize us and isolate us as they can cause fear, fear of all kinds of things that are out there that we don't go out because of what could possibly happen rather than trusting in faith. Satan wants to keep us from relationship. He wants to keep us from God's covenant. He wants to keep us from 
enacting our faith and trusting in God and going forward in boldness, in essence from standing firm in God. Do you know that lions don't roar when they attack? They roar beforehand, they roar to intimidate you, they roar, roar to scare you, but when lions attack, they don't roar. When they finally creep up on you after the intimidation and the isolation, they separate you from the pack, then they attack in stealth when you're not looking from behind. You see, when they roar, they create panic. You ever see those wonderful documentaries with the gazelles out there and the lions come in and they roar and most of the crowd runs this way, but there's always what? One or two beautiful little gazelles that run off the wrong way because they're fearful. And instead of staying in relationship with the group, they isolate. Do you see what's going on here? And when they isolate, then the lion sneaky sneaky creeps up and he goes after them. Different than many other animals that attack the sick and the lame because they can't escape, lions don't do that. Lions are like, I don't want no darn sick or lame, I want the good stuff, right? So what lions attack are the animals that are completely unaware of their presence because they have gone away from the protection of the pack. They have isolated themselves out there, out there looking around going, oh my gosh, what do we do now? Where do I go now? And they're unaware that the lion is even there. A lion will often come up to those unaware animals, get within 30 feet, and then when they're within 30 feet, they just go crazy. It's a quick, sporadic attack. Now, they can't do long-term. If you've seen those videos, right? They attack if they miss it. The gazelles run off, and you're all happy, and Christy claps and goes, yay! Lions don't endure attack. They have a stealth, sporadic attack within 30 feet on the animals that are unaware and isolated from the pack. And then they pounce. God tells us through Peter that your adversary, your enemy... Your foe, the devil, prowls around like what? A roaring lion. And what does that roar do once again? It intimidates you. And if you don't stay where God has called you to be, in the unity of the church, in relationship with Jesus, in God's word, being fed, and in prayers, fighting the spiritual battle spiritually, we tend to isolate. And we become unaware. And then what? Pounce time, right? And the Satan attacks. But Peter also, through the moving of the Holy Spirit, gives us two things to fight off the enemy. Actually, three, because Peter first says, stand firm, right? To realize there is a real holy war to stand firm and to be alert. And as we said in the first message of this series, that there are bad things going on all around us. There are spiritual attacks going on all around us. We often don't talk about them. We treat them like a, a little bit of bad broccoli on our plate that we just scrape away because we don't want to eat. And we just, they don't even infect us. They don't impact us at all, right? That's exactly what Satan wants us to do. To not be on the alert. To not be wearing our spiritual armor. To not be fighting these battles in prayer and in unity but to isolate and to be intimidated. 1 Peter 5.8 goes on to say, this is the new modern or translation of the Bible of what we just read. It says, be 
care, be on careful watch for the attacks of Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry lion, a roaring lion, looking for a victim to tear apart. But then Peter says this, also in a new translation. Stand firm when he attacks. Trust the Lord. And remember that other Christians around the world are going through these sufferings too. After you have suffered a little while, our God, who is full of kindness through Christ, will give you his eternal glory. He will personally come and pick you up and set you firmly in place and make you stronger than ever. You see, the devil's roar is fearful, but it's also predictable. His attack is certain if we're not aware. And the only real question that we have to ask as Christians, as we know this now, is how do we respond? How do we respond? Knowing what Peter tells us about our enemy, knowing what Peter tells us about the solution, the question is, how do you and I take this and apply Peter's instruction from the Holy Spirit to our lives? Well, the first thing is we've got we to gotta realize what? There is a very real spiritual war going on. It's real. The Bible talks about it over and over again, but yet again, oftentimes we are so callous to it, so used to it, we're like, eh, yeah, whatever. We also have to realize that we know how Satan attacks, first subtly and then on front in intimidation and isolation, and so we know his maneuvers. If we know his maneuvers and we are steeped in the Word of God and in prayer and in fellowship and church and relationship, enacting the faith that God has given us, we can do one thing, and what is that? We can win, right? We can win. Turn me to Acts chapter 8 as we dive into there and see this once again in our continued study of Acts. In Acts 6, we read about how Satan did a subtle attack to try and divide the church. He created a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews about the widows. And it seemed innocent and subtle, but it was really a spiritual attack because Satan, the devil, convinced the Hellenistic leaders to instead of doing something about it and acting in their faith and taking care of the problem of the growing church, to just complain about it, to create division, right? In Acts 7, we saw how tradition and maintaining the status quo was used with the scribes and Pharisees to try and bring down the early growing Christian church. And how through that tradition and status quo, when it was challenged, Stephen was killed right because he says that's not the way of God that's that's old man-made traditions and rules and that's not how God wants to be in relationship and communion and love us and, and enable us so now we pick up in Acts 8 and in Acts 8 what we realize is that because of all that's been going on from Acts 1 to Acts 7 the church is still young and there are many people here around Jerusalem in this area that are now fleeing, isolating, running away because of the spiritual attacks and the turmoil that is going on with the religious leaders and now people or Christians are being killed. And rather than stand firm and fight, many of the believers are picking their stuff up and getting out of Dodge to where it's safer. And the turmoil continues. The battle to intimidate 
and to isolate continues. So we read this, Acts 8, verses 1 to 3. And on that day, a great persecution. Oh, now doesn't that sound like something to enjoy? Hey, it's National Persecution Day. Woohoo! Right? We don't look forward to that. But it says, on that day, this is after Stephen's been killed and after these battles been going on, on that day, a great persecution began against what? The church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. So you see where Satan's attacking? He's turning up the heat. He's stirring the pot with intimidation. The religious leaders are coming down on the Christians. Stephen's just been killed. A great persecution is growing and roaring, and many of the Christians are saying, this is impossible, and we got to get out of here. we got to split, and the church is being divided, and they're isolating. Verse 2. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over them. But Saul began, here's our lion word. We read in 1 Peter that the lion seeks what? Someone to devour? He's now working through Saul before, Saul, before his conversion. It says, and Saul began, the word in the New American Standard is what? Ravaging. Isn't that like devour? Ravaging. Saul began ravaging what? The church. This lion is ravaging the church, trying to attack it. Entering house after house and dragging off men and women that he would put in the prison. This is a rough time for the early church, isn't it? It's a really rough time. They're young. Many of the Christians here are literally only maybe Christians about two years because from Acts 1 to Acts 8, it's literally a period of about two years. So these are young Christians. Now, the exciting part of growth is wonderful, right? It's exciting, it's exuberant. I mean, things are happening and popping. But now the enemy appears in his ugly head. Now he's not fighting subtly anymore because the blame game didn't work. The tradition of keeping the status quo didn't work, so now he turns to a frontal attack with Saul, ravaging the church. Now put yourself in this position. You've been a Christian about two years, and things have been awesome. People are healed. The welfare needs are taken care of. There's great prayer time and, and Bible study with the apostles, and man, it's just awesome. And now a battle appears with its ugly head. And you just saw one of your Christian brothers brutally stoned to death and killed in the city streets. And now there's this guy, Saul, who's with the religious leaders that you know can't stand your group called The Way. And they're attacking. And Saul is going into people's homes and dragging people out and putting them in prison and separating families and children. Well, we all know what most Christians would say. Hey, I got to go to a different church. This one is all messed up, right? Isn't that what typically we do? When there is a spiritual battle within a church, most Christians what? Run and isolate. Do you know what should be happening as God spoke through Peter to instruct us? We should be standing firm. When our church is under attack or any church, we should be standing firm and fighting the battle together, unifying in prayer and study and fasting, fighting the battle on a spiritual level rather than saying, 
Well, I gotta go find someplace else because this is not working for me. Do you see the contrast of God's word as Christians to call us to stand firm versus what our human nature and flesh tend to want to do to find comfort? I mean, we do it in simple ways. You see it in churches all the time. Well, I don't like where they put the grand piano. They should have put it on the left side of the stage instead of the right, so I'm going to another church. Well, I don't like the worship of the church. It's a little funky and everything, so I'm going to go find one where I like. Well, I don't like the pastor's voice, so I'm going to find a pastor that I like his voice. Well, I don't like how they serve communion, so I'm going to find a church how I like it to serve communion. It's all about who? Us. We need to remember that when God places us someplace, he puts us in a spiritual family, a congregation, the bride of Christ for a reason. And we're to stand firm together, to band together and see God's glory revealed as we fight the spiritual battle. We read on in Acts 8, verses 4 to 8. There's a cool thing that happens to the Apostle Paul because God won't let his bride be ravaged. He is a jealous God over his bride and wants no one to mess with her, right? We read that throughout the Bible, that the church is the bride of Christ, and as Satan is trying to attack that bride and ravage and destroy her, to get her to keep her from relationship with God, God will step in and be like, no, nobody messes with my bride. I am a jealous God. So we read here in Acts 4, 8, 4 to 8. Therefore, those who had been scattered went around preaching the word. What? They're scattered. Finally, they come to their senses and they start what? Preaching the word of God. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Now, you good Christians who know about Samaria, Samaria was the favorite place of the Jews, wasn't it? No, it was just the opposite. No good Jew went there, but Philip goes down and begins preaching the gospel to where? Samaria, Samaria the outcast. So different from the scribes and Pharisees. And as a result, this is what happened. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what Philip said as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. And for in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them and shouting with loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed were lame and healed. And so there was much what? Joy. Much joy, much rejoicing in the city. Do you see where God's turning the spiritual battle around again? God's saying, I won't stand for this with my church. And even though some have fleed and scattered, God is calling them back to preach the word and teach the word. Remember, the devil's attacks are intimidation and isolation. Intimidation to make you fearful so you run away from where you should be. And then isolation, that once you're isolated and you're in your own head, he can spiritually attack you and plant more thoughts and more thoughts and more thoughts and create more fear within you. Truth is, none of us are immune to suffering, are we? We live in a broken world and it's the way it is. But I want to tell you this as Christians, our suffering is not wasted. Do you know that your struggles are ordained or allowed by God? They're not created by God, but they're allowed by God. God tells us that trials and temptations will come. 
They're allowed by God, but they're not a wasted time of trial and temptation and suffering. They're intent on a purpose, and sometimes our worst times are when God does his best work in us, isn't it? Because in our worst times, that's when we need God the most, and we finally turn our hearts back to him. We're attentive. We're open. In fact, we're ready for God to move. And so in our times that are rough, sometimes it's God's best work in us. I mean, look at Joseph. Remember Joseph? The guy with the cool coat, right? Oh, Joseph had a great life, didn't he? I mean, ended up being second in command of Egypt, man. That boy, you look at Joseph, he was the man, right? Saved his family, saved Egypt from, from famine and everything. But what happened from when Joseph was about 13 to when he saved Egypt? What happened in the space between those years? Well, they had to be great years to prep him to be second command as a leader in Egypt, right? What happened? He sold out by his own family, left for dead, sold the slave traders. He was wrongly accused and thrown in prison as an innocent man, and then in prison he was forgotten by those who said they would remember him and be there for him. He was left alone and behind. He was chastised. He had all kinds of things horribly wrong that happened to him between age 13 and the time when he became second command in Pharaoh. And when God called him, do you know he was still? He was still in prison when God called him and said, Joseph, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bring these people to remember you. You see, God doesn't ever forget. But don't you think Joseph went through times in prison going, if this is what life is about, if this is how God repays me for serving him, I don't what? I don't want to do it. I thought life in God was supposed to be grace and blessing. And I'm abandoned by my own family, by my own friends, by everybody. The only people I see are the guards. And I've been here for a long time. I don't even know what it's like to have a sunburn anymore. I've been in this dark, damp place for so long. Like the people in Egypt that cried out for 400 years, Joseph was in that prison alone. And it would be easy for him to isolate in his own heads that what? This isn't worth it. God's done with me, obviously. If I'm in prison and my own family turned their back on me and betrayed me, I'm done. But you know who wasn't done? God. God was not done with Joseph. While Joseph was in that prison and being betrayed, God was working in him saying, Joseph, I want to teach you the lesson that you trust in me and me alone. Joseph, I want to teach you the lesson of endurance because when you're in Egypt someday and you're looking over those people, they're not going to like you telling them they can't have food. They're in rations. They're not going to like that. Joseph, you're going to have to endure through all those political attacks and all the frustration. And Joseph, you're going to have to learn grace and forgiveness because I'm going to bring your family back to you and you'll have the power to destroy them. Do you see how God was working in Joseph's life in that prison in the bad times? 
So what's in your bad time lately? And the question more so is how do you respond? Do you buy into Satan's attack to intimidate you and to isolate you, or do you lean and press into God? Knowing that even in your struggle, even in your trial, even in your temptation, even in your challenge where you don't know the future, that God is with you, that God has not forgotten you, that God has us for a purpose, God is equipping you for what is yet to come, and God is going to remember you and bring you out of prison, out of slavery, out of that difficult time in his time. Once he's equipped you and made you ready, once he has taught you the lessons he wants to teach you to prepare you for the ministry that he will have for you to do. Peter's solution, and what we read from Paul and Acts, in fighting Satan is not just standing firm, but standing firm and clinging to God and preaching the word. When we saw that Philip went to Samaria and began to preach the word, what happened? Demons are cast out, people are healed, and the whole city was rejoicing. So when we realize that Satan's frontal attack is to intimidate and isolate, do you know what our response is? To cling and preach. Cling to God, cling to church, cling to fellowship, cling to prayer and fight the spiritual battle, and preach the word. And as the Bible says, we are to preach the word in two different times. Do you know when those times are? We're to preach the word in season when it's acceptable. It's like we're in church and it's in season in church. This is where you go to hear the word of God. We preach the word in season and we are to preach the word out of season when it's not acceptable. When people don't want to hear it. Our response to Satan's frontal attack is to cling and preach. That's our response. And we need to realize this. As the devil attacks us in the areas where we are the most vulnerable. And here's the challenge. What you are vulnerable in may be different than where I'm vulnerable. When he makes those attacks and we feel that, that tinge, the sting of his attack, that's when we go to God in prayer. We say, Lord, I just realized I'm vulnerable in this spot. I just became more aware of a weak point in my life. And God, I need you to strengthen me there. I need you to be my covering. I need you to equip me. I need you to teach me how to make that era, area strong. Satan comes in. He intimidates us. He isolates us. Those are the attacks of the devil when the subtle stuff doesn't work. And when Satan does that, if we buy into his temptation... When we get in our own head, we make wrong choices, and we self-extinguish, in essence, the light or the flame that God has given us, right? You ever see when some Christians go through struggle, rather than grow in the Lord, they what? They just become weaker and weaker and weaker. But God's promise is for us to stand firm by clinging and preaching. And when we do that in season and out of season, as the Bible says, we have that joy. We become stronger in God. We see God move in our life and do miraculous things in our life. There's some stuff that Christy and I have been praying about for, what, about four or five months now? And we keep seeing little directions, and we pursue those directions, and then God doesn't fulfill those things mainly in my life, and he doesn't make those things happen. He closes the door, and I'm like, oh, man. This is challenging. 
And then something happens and I'm like, oh my gosh, God just saved me from a bullet. As we cling to God and we encourage one another, we preach the word, God is always watching over us with protection and provision. Remember, he is jealous for his church and you are a member of a church, the bride of Christ, and God is jealous over you. And he will intervene and protect and provide for you. And the issue for the preaching, not just the clinging to God, but the preaching is important because the power is not in you and I as the messenger. You know where the power is? It's in the Word of God that is preached. The Word of God is called what in the Bible, in the spiritual armor? It's the sword of the Spirit. It's an offensive weapon. It can be defensive, but the intent of the sword is to be on the offensive side to attack, right? Not to be defensive. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We need to realize in a spiritual battle that as Christians, as sons and daughters of God, as part of God's bride, the church, we have the full power of Jesus backing us up. Second, we have that weapon when we preach the word, the sword of the spirit, that the devil doesn't have. Now, I like sports. I like team sports. I like individual sports. I like team sports, like football, rugby, um, you know, those kind of things. But I like individual sports, too, like, like uh, wrestling and some of the other stuff. But there's one common denominator, whether you're in a team sport or an individual sport, that you can see really easily, and that's this. Sometimes when two teams go out to battle for the victory, they're both fighting for the same thing. As they begin the battle, in the first couple moments of the battle, one team begins to take the edge, right? They begin to win and overcome the other team. Now here's where something really interesting happens. The more that the one team begins to win, typically what does the other team begin to do? Begins to worry. I mean, if you see, you know, football players, they show them on the, on the sidelines when they're out there and the other team just made a, a a touchdown and then they made a field goal and then they made an interception and then they made another field goal and then they get another interception they pan the uh, the losing team and what are those guys doing well they don't have battle faces do they their heads are down they're like oh this is terrible it's not right I'm fighting so hard and what they begin to do is they begin to lose in their own head right you see it on their face. You see it in how they play. They're not going out with confidence to fight. They begin to fight defensively. They're like cornered and they can't get out and they see no hope. And when teams only fight defensively, they what? They lose, right? But there's really a cool thing happen that happens in some teams that as they're losing and they're being pounded down, they get someone on their team, maybe the team captain or another one, begins to encourage them and say, guys, we can do this. We can pull this together. We're not going to fight defensively anymore because you can't win a battle just fighting defensively because you're always just protecting. We've got to be on the offensive side. We've got to attack. And when you see those teams come back and they do the Hail Mary pass or whatever it is, the crowd goes nuts, right? And when these guys come off the sidelines, even though they're behind, 
they come out confident and they're banding together and they're like, we can still win this battle. We can still claim the victory. Do you know that's the imagery of us in spiritual warfare? When we're attacked, oftentimes we turn to the defensive side of play, right? Our countenance falls, our head goes down, we begin to mumble and grumble, we think we can't do it, we're not good enough. We've trained for this, but they're just so much better. And we get on the defensive side, and we're intimidated, we begin to isolate. But here's what we need to do. We need to remember who we are in Jesus Christ and who backs us up and who's already won the battle for us that we're not fighting for victory. Remember where we're fighting? We're fighting from victory. And we need to get our heads back in the game and get back with each other and say, guys, we can do this. Let's pray. Let's preach the word of God. Let's go fight this battle head on. Let's go out with confidence because in Christ we have already won. Do you know that? If you don't hear anything today, realize this. In Jesus Christ, you have already won. You can have confidence. The devil intimidates and isolates. God speaks to us and says, cling to God and preach the word of Jesus. Because in the word of Jesus is the sword of the spirit. And it's powerful. It cuts through sinew and bone to the very heart of the issue. And it leads you to victory. In this battle, I also want you to realize one thing. Do you know that the demons believe in Jesus? And they know who Jesus is? Remember the, the stories of the New Testament when Jesus would come on and the evil spirits would freak out, right? The Bible tells us also, Peter, that when the demons hear the name of Jesus, they do something. What do they do? They shudder. They're in fear because of the authority of God. They know full well the authority of God, even though they're trying to deceive you and I not to believe in that authority. They shudder. And do you know why they shudder? Because they probably know Scripture better than you and I do back and forth. They know the spiritual battle better than you and I do back and forth. They know this and they shudder. The reason they shudder is because they do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ anymore. And rather than knowing that when Jesus returns, he's going to receive them and say, well done, like he's going to with us, He's going to cast judgment upon them. They're going to be condemned. They know they are fighting a losing battle, and they shudder because they know judgment and damnation and condemnation is coming. Kids, if you're in Christ, we have just the opposite, don't we? We know that when we see Jesus and are changed that twinkling of the eye, when he returns, we're going to be in full communion and relationship with him. We're going to be in his presence all the time. Things are going to be made right, and there's going to be utter peace and joy. Romans 8, 28 tells us that great verse. It says, we know that God calls us all things to work together for those, those who what? Those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And who are those people? That's us. That's us. So to close up, what do we got to do? We've got to realize we already know how Satan attacks, don't we? Therefore, we need to be aware and on the alert. We need to put on that spiritual armor of God. We need to stay in relationship with God and with the church. And when the attacks come, we don't back down and fight defensively. 
We're like, oh no, you don't got no power here, devil. In the name of Christ, you are out of here. You don't have any strength here because God rules and reigns here and God rules and reigns in my heart. And your time is already up. In the name of Christ, we claim victory. For the glory of Christ, we claim victory. And for the glory of God, we allow ourselves to be used by God to fight that spiritual battle. Does that make sense? So we cling to God even stronger. We don't isolate. We are not intimidated as Christians. Don't you dare let Satan intimidate you as a Christian. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that very clearly. He says, therefore, there is now no what? condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because you've been made a new creation and all those bad things all those sins all that condemnation is buried at the foot of the cross you and I are a new creation in Christ don't let Satan intimidate you don't buy into that temptation that trap you are a son of the daughter of the Most High King. You are royalty. You have the very authority and power of Christ backing you up with the, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, overflowing. And your job when Satan comes and starts pushing you around like a bully is you push him right back. You say, you get out of here. You have no place here. Not in my life, not in my church, not in my family, not in my job. In Christ's name, the power of Christ, you're out of here. And you stand firm in your relationship. Cling to God even stronger and preach the word. Because we're called to win the battle. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, it's an interesting thing that Satan deceives us so often by not dealing with the real spiritual battles, Lord, that we're not going over the edge just running around proclaiming things in the name of Jesus all the time over things that are really not the spiritual battle. But again, we're called not to deny that the battle's going on. Lord, there is a battle going on. And teach us to be wise in your word, to act biblically, to use the weapon of the sword of the spirit, your word, and the authority and power you have invested in us as your ambassadors to go forth into the world to proclaim your gospel and Lord to stand firm that we as Christians stand in full confidence because of our position in you because that we belong to you because we know that your word is faithful and true and that you will not leave us or forsake us you are always with us Lord grow us up as Christians teach us to be strong to comp be confident and to fight the spiritual battle spiritually in your name and in your power. In Jesus' name we pray.